Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. It is my honor and pleasure today to welcome to the program Varun Maria, who is the Defense and Aerospace uh, Lead uh, in the Americas for the global consultancy McKinsey. Uh, Varun, thanks so very much uh, for joining us. It's an absolute pleasure having you on the program, especially since uh, we've been talking about doing this for so long, and I'm glad we're finally executing it. Uh, Vago, thank you for uh, welcoming me here. It's a real honor and privilege to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion. Uh, same here, um, uh, because I think there are so many trends that we want to discuss strategically and get your take on. Uh, we're just very happy that uh, we, could, we could manage to intercept uh, your uh, busy schedule. Uh, before we get started, HII sponsors our global coverage. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage. Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage. And GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval uh, coverage. Um, you know, um, I want to start with sort of the strategic environment we find ourselves and, and the challenges facing the industry. Because on the one hand, we're uh, achieving a high watermark uh, in terms of spending. Outlays are going up. Uh, you know, it looks like spending might be slowing down a little bit uh, into uh, next year. Uh, there might be, however, a supplemental, which will uh, be a little bit more money. Unfortunately, we, the nation faces uh, debt challenges, Fitch uh, downgraded. Uh, U.S. credit, not for any specific drive, driver, except for the fact that it doesn't look like we have a consensus on how to address uh, what is a national debt that's north of $30 uh, trillion. Uh, last year in your guys' quarterly, uh, you guys teased Richard Rommelt's book, The Crux, uh, about the importance of getting strategy right uh, at this time. And I want to get to that in, in just a moment. What are the challenges, Varun, facing this industry over the next decade or so? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, Vago, when we say this industry, obviously, you know, I, I view commercial aerospace very different to defense, very different to space. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd start by saying that it, it is, you know, it is a, a unprecedented, exciting time across all three industries, right? As, as you know, in commercial, we're about as, um, you know, sold out as we can be uh, in terms of the flight line. Um, and, uh, you know, what's to your point about challenges, what's holding the industry back, of course, is the ability to ramp up and suppliers' ability to deliver. Uh, you know, in, in defense, as, as you pointed out, you know, there are some headwinds ahead uh, coming into the next couple of years. But I think in general, um, the, 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 the sort of, you know, we, we are again at unprecedented times in terms of um, spending in, uh, in, in space in absolute terms, obviously, you know, if you go back decades uh, from a, uh, you know, GDP from a, a price adjustment basis, it's, it's been significantly higher. Um, I think in defense, the real challenge, and I'm sure we'll come to this, is is around you know how do you think about the future of warfare and uh, how do you make different investments to sort of um, you know cover and, uh, and and serve the governments uh, in in a way that actually addresses the future of war. And then space, of course, has been you know incredibly exciting. Um, you know, there's there's more. Uh, you know, whether we talk about going to the moon or satellites or, or even going to Mars, again, it's it's an unprecedented time. Uh, I think over there, um, you know, um, I, I, I think I don't see many uh, headwinds over there. And then, of course, we'll get to this. Uh, I didn't talk about disruptions and whether we think about EV toll or others. So, you know, net, 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 I'd say it's a it's an incredibly exciting time in in, in the space. I see much more upside than downside uh, in, in the industry. And, uh, you know, who wouldn't want to be in the industry at this time? 
you mentioned about uh, the change in uh, warfare, uh, Varen, and I think at the end of the day, you guys have to understand that in order to sort of advise companies on what that strategic future looks like. And indeed, I want to get into the questions of innovation cycles, because one of the things we're seeing most profoundly uh, from the Ukrainians is an ability to pull technology from wherever it exists, as opposed to just merely doing it, whether you want to use the, the term legacy or heritage or, uh, uh, you know, existing. Uh, systems. What are some of the, the lessons that you're seeing in Ukraine that are most profoundly going to shape the future uh, of the defense side of the business from your standpoint? Yeah, I think I think a, a couple of things, right? One, one is obviously you know, acknowledging the, the tragedy that is that is Ukraine. Uh, I think I think there are two lessons. One, one, one is just the you know the the, the willingness uh, of the people of Ukraine to to fight for their freedom. And the second thing is you know you mentioned it, it's the, it's the innovation. I think I think that you know we're used to uh, we're used to a cycle where innovation in defense just takes a long time, uh, whether it's from commercial or within or within within defense as well. And I think what um, uh, what 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 Ukraine Ukrainians have shown us is that their ability to be innovative, uh, work with what little means they have, uh, you know, really shows that, uh, that that you can be disruptive and innovative and change things in a very rapid cycle. Um, to that end. Um, the DOD, if you go, uh, or, or the U.S. military establishment, right, I mean, for centuries, it was um, obviously war was, was a driver, but we were harnessing, or the department or the militaries around the world were pretty good at harnessing commercial uh, innovation. Uh, it was during World War II and during the Cold War that the United States really became a massive technological driver, whether on communications, computing, material sciences. I mean, it goes nuclear. It goes across the, the piece. And it was only with the end of the Cold War some decades ago that the drive was that the Defense Department had to get better at harnessing commercial aviation, uh, commercial innovation and, and adapting it. Here we are now. Uh, decades into this uh, process, several different cycles. Uh, Dr. Ash Carter, the late Dr. Carter, uh, was one of the most emblematic sort of drive, let's harness Silicon Valley in order, that was in 2014, almost 10 years ago now. From your standpoint, what's the department getting right about doing this? And where is there more improvement that can be made? Well, look, look I think first of all, um, the, you know, um, the, the Defense Innovation Unit, I think, is a great example of what the department's been doing. Uh, I think the fact that uh, General Brown, uh, when he was chief of staff of the Air Force, spent a lot of time uh, in Silicon Valley, and I think the Air Force uh, was one of the uh, you know innovators really bringing in um, commercial expertise into into defense, and the fact that he's now the Joint Chief Staff, I think a lot of that gives us a lot of you know hope um and excitement about what what might be done and i think there's a lot going on there uh that that's very exciting you know bringing in uh leaders such as doug beck uh from silicon valley to to lead the, the unit i think is a is a great coup on their part so i think there's there's a lot going on there i think the challenges and i'm not sure how much of this is the department not getting it right versus just the challenges at least when i spoke speak to uh you know whether it's startups or uh venture players right it's, it's the whole idea of how do we actually get um, assurance that, you know, there is a commercial path to the technologies that we're developing? Uh, do we know that, um, you know, there's actually going to be demand for the product so that we can we, we can we can be commercially viable? Uh, I, I think that's the that's going to be the key unlock, right? If there's a way for whether this D, the DIU or other parts of uh, the DOD can figure out a way to really harness and find a way to, you know, uh, create uh, economic models uh, with startups. Uh, that, that's going to be the key to unlocking it. 
what what are some of the ways uh, to do that? Because we keep talking about bridging uh, the so-called valley of death. It's not so-called if you're actually existing. And at the point where the Sibirs is too small and you're not yet big enough and don't have the mass uh, to survive. And, you know, the de department's attitude towards this is, well, make me a buffet and I'll pick individual things from it. And sometimes the department's not hungry, not to over overdo the analogies here. Well, what What's the way to do this uh, and to actually succeed at the end of the day? Because there's no shortage of innovation, right? I mean, one of the things I think uh, Dr. Mark Esper, the former defense secretary and the former Air Force secretary, Debbie James, are trying to do at the Atlantic Council is sort of shape what is that innovation, right? The more uh, uh, the, the more agile harnessing of the commercial technology look like? What, what does that look like from your standpoint? Yeah, look, I, I, think, I think for me, it's, it's about, it probably comes down to, you know, placing, placing bets um, early and being willing to, uh, you know, uh, provide more uh, demand to, to certain players, right? I think, I think, the, uh, I think the idea, if you just take your buffet analogy, right, it's, it's maybe trying to be a bit more a la carte and really thinking about, uh, you know, uh, what you look. I, I think I think if you look at a vast array of technology and you're looking at you know 100 different players, it's easy to figure out uh, if you're looking at all of them who the 10 or 12 winners will be, right? And I think um, you know I think I think actually finding a way to pick the few winners and you know provide more demand their way is, is probably is probably the one thing that I could think of that might that, that might help. Um, thank you very much for saying that, by the way, because we operate in this notion that somehow. You know, the government shouldn't be in the business of picking winners and losers. And in fact, the reality is the government is in the business of picking winners and losers uh, all the time. Um, and when it makes that investment, it has a multiplier impact, right? Whether it's in microelectronics uh, or, you know, in technology, as we're seeing, as in clear energy. And indeed, as we did in space, when the department sort of freed up its rules uh, and started putting money in, SpaceX and a number of other companies uh, came in. Can, do we need to have a different model in how we, the government looks at strategic investment? Because there are so many areas where there is so much capital that could be applied to solving the department's problems. And yet we don't see that, whether it's in extra dockyard space to repair nuclear warships, to uh, build more munitions. And the, do, do we need to have sort of a different model in how the department frames and, and makes um, seed investment to then get a lot of other people in there to help solve um, some very readily identifiable problem or, 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 or uh, already identified problems that are actually going remarkably unaddressed. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure I know enough to know, um, you know what they need to do um, uh, differently if they should be doing something differently. I mean, the, the, the one thing I, I just iterate what I said before was, uh, you, you know, when you're when you're picking uh, winners amongst five players who are in the space, it's a lot easier when you're looking at all five to figure out the winner. So I, I just think that it would be easier uh, for, for them to figure out who the winners might be in the space. Um, do um, what is from your perspective the the key to more quickly harnessing commercial innovation for uh, uh, defense application. You know, we talked about uh, eVTOL uh, a little bit. Robin Riedel from your team in San Francisco is one of sort of the world's leading thinkers uh, on that. 
Um, I want to get to eVTOL uh, in, a, in a second and what that could look like, right? Because for some, uh, it's a panacea. For others, it's, it's just a shell game uh, designed to make a couple of people, <laughs> a couple of people rich uh, with very good slide decks. But ultimately, what do you think the key is for more rapid, more thoughtful um, defense uh, adoption of commercial technology? Yeah, I, I think um, you know if I if I think about the I'm, I'm going to repeat myself now because if you know as you're asking the question, I was thinking about you know how well is the government doing in terms of. Uh, relationships and reaching out to Silicon Valley. I think they've done a very nice job, right? Again, but I'm going to repeat the DIU. You know, could they do more? I'm I'm sure, right? I'm sure that they could do more. They could be, you know, do more forums, be more welcoming, show them that that they're serious. But I think the proof is really going to be in the pudding, right? I think again, if the government shows that they are willing to invest and create success stories, um, I think you'll find uh, a lot more people will, uh, will 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 believe it and get excited and move forward, right? So, is there more that they could do to reach out to Silicon? I just think about the final, right? If could, could they reach out more? Could they spend more time? I think they could do all of that. But I think showing that you know uh, innovation uh, in the commercial sector will be rewarded uh, in in defense will be the biggest unlock, I think. Um, what are some of the things? Right. I mean, when when guys ask you for advice, um, companies that are trying to break into this, right? I mean, you guys uh, advise all pieces of this uh, equation. Um, what is it that folks, what's the mindset that folks need to go into? Because there's no shortage of money to try to do it. The question is, you know, sort of aligning all the interests uh, because, right, everybody in this ecosystem has their own interests. The bigs have their interests. The little guys have their interests. The investment community has its interests. Um, ultimately, What's what's the right way to get the ball moving in the direction I think collectively we all need it to move? Yeah, I, I, again, I, I I I feel like the answer is um, you, you know if you have a and and you if if you have a product that um, you know is is a is a is a great product, um, I I I think that uh, I I think that just focusing on you know, the economic model and making sure you have a great product that works. Now, again, I think the channel Vago, of course, is what we talked about, which is that works in the commercial space, right? In defense, right. you're 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 then again beholden on whether you're going to get the demand. But I, I always feel like, you know, um, it, focusing and, and, you know, as, 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 as McKinsey, we believe in, you know, fundamental mi microeconomics and focusing on, you know, uh, is there, you know, is there a market and do you have the best product and how do you, you know, best get that product to market at the right cost is, is the thing that we focus on when we work with clients. Um, uh, if uh, you're, you're the wisdom, the, the wisdom <laughs> of the best engineered product winning, may, may yeah. God be with you and everybody <laughs> else who does that. Um, yeah, let me ask you uh, about uh, eVTOL. Uh, and we're going to have Robin on the program as well, because he's very uh, thoughtful in his own right. But I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, right? I mean, that's one area where the department is making some seed investment. Obviously, the U.S. Air Force Archer uh, Aviation was the first to get it. I think we're going to see a couple of other companies get these contracts to see what happens with air taxis in a battlefield. Um, what, are, what are some lessons, right? And because for some, it's a vilified area. Uh, whether you call it eVTOL or whether you call it adv uh, uh, advanced air mobility, um, and and for others, um, you know, it, it, right? It it unlocks. It's the future, and for others, it's it's just a shell game. You guys have a far more nuanced uh, view of that. Obviously, what are ways to think about innovations, whether it's eVTOL or anything else, and the role that they can play 
right? I mean, because you could replicate this and say, well, you know, chat GPT and large language models are also BS and they can only do limited things. Whereas actually, depending on how you apply any of these things, you could actually move a large number of defense needles. And our adversaries will be doing that, uh, you know, very much the case. I mean, look at the um, unmanned, uh, you know, advances the Ukrainians are making on almost a weekly basis. Yeah, well, well, look, I, I, and, and again, Robin will provide a much more nuanced version than I will on on, on EV toll. I mean, look, I, I think that um, you know we'll uh, we'll we'll investors who have invested in EV toll, um, you know, end up making money. I think that's a question that that'll be answered in the coming years, and I think the last couple of years have been challenging. Um, you know, that aside, you know, um, has the technology uh, been uh, a breakthrough? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think so, right? I think if you think about, um, especially around unmanned, right, um, if you think about some of the players uh, like WISC that are going, you know, directly to unmanned, there'll be real benefits uh, in terms of uh, looking at automation uh, and using that for, you know, commercial and defense markets. Uh, I think the advancements that are going to be made in, uh, you know, battery technology uh, are going to be phenomenal. So I think there are going to be a lot of, uh, you know, exciting uh, offshoots uh, from eVTOL, uh, regardless of whether the, you know, the commercial model uh, ends up uh, proving to be, uh, you know, one that's that's incredibly uh, successful um, uh, or not. I, I I do think that, you know, the next couple of years, uh, as we actually begin to have, um, you know, flights that take actual passengers is, is, is what's going to determine whether eVTOL really takes off or not, right? Um, I, I think it's going to be really important the next couple of years go go uh, particularly well. Uh, I will say, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, you were you were at the air show as well. It was great to see the first eVTOL flight uh, take take place right uh, on on the on the main strip, and then obviously, you know, there, there was a whole uh, hall dedicated to urban mobility, and we had a lot of other players there, right? So I think I think the there's a lot of momentum there. I think the next couple of years are really going to determine um, whether we make something uh, happen or not. And then to answer the other question, like I look, I I cannot I cannot imagine that the benefits from EV toll are not going to help uh, in the defense space, right? Again, whether it's unmanned technology, whether it's battery technology, uh, you know, the the real trick, of course, is going to be how do you think about adapting that uh, to to best suit uh, defense applications? Uh, you know, um, I'm uh, reminded. Uh, you know, I mean, there's there's a tendency of folks, um, you know, criticizing whenever, for example, a bubble, and there was this sense that eVTOL had hit a bubble. Uh, but as uh, Thomas uh, Friedman points out, uh, right in uh, the world is flat, actually bubbles can leave behind uh, quite a lot of infrastructure, right, quite a lot of technology. So even if we have seen a bit of a bubble, there's some important elements of that that can be harvested, right? I mean, that it, it'll eventually work out in the wash, whether it's through mergers, acquisitions, things die, technologies get sold, but eventually it collectively helps move the ball forward. Yeah, yeah, that, that's certainly true. And, and look, I, I, again, I, I really hope that eVTOL is amazingly successful because, you know, you, it's going to be decades before we have a viable, you know, a large commercial airline that is, um, you, you know, that, that zero emissions. And right. I actually think that, you know, proving that you can do it 
um, you, you know, uh, at scale um, or through eVTOL would be fantastic, let alone, you know, dealing with, you know, from, from both, uh, if you believe, you know, when, especially when you get to unmanned, uh, if you believe what the unit costs are, right, the, the, the actual economics as well as the time saved for customers, right, it's really, it's really uh, solving a need. So, you know, I'll hold my judgment on whether it'll be successful or not, but I, 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 I know that there will be benefits uh, uh, that come out of it. And I, and I really do hope it's successful, right? I think, I think it'll, it'll fulfill an unmet, an unmet need. And uh, I think, I think be good for the environment and, uh, and be a great customer product if, uh, if, if it can be successful. I am, uh, I am, I am looking forward to benefiting from uh, that uh, product. So I uh, certainly wish uh, everybody who's working on it uh, all the best. And we will have Robin on to take a more nuanced uh, look at all of this uh, with us uh, in a little uh, bit. Let me ask um, kind of a, a, a strategic um, question, right? I mean, it, it's, um, you know, uh, friends of mine who've been in the management consulting business always sort of point out that, you know, it's it's when budgets peak that you should really be looking at what the downside uh, of that arc uh, starts to look like and make uh, strategic planning. Um, and, but right now, doing some of that planning appears to be uh, a little bit challenging, right? The antitrust environment has changed a little bit. The technological environment uh, is uh, changing. Um, what does that look like? And how do companies, uh, Varen, need to be looking at what's the next phase of, of where we are and what, what comes next, right? I mean, because budgets go up and budgets come down, even if the bracket is increasing, there are winners and losers that are in that context. How do companies uh, and strategy teams need to be thinking about that? You know, I mentioned Richard Rumelt. Uh, he, you know, um, thinks about strategy all the time and talks about strategy, right? And you see the companies that survive, thrive, and prosper and grow as ones who have applied good strategy, and then the ones who haven't end up being the ones that get broken up. What's what's uh, what's the way companies should be looking at this period as as they plan their futures? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think I think the you know. I think the core fundamentals of how you think about strategy, you know, haven't haven't changed. Which is again, you look at what your you know your your core competencies are, your product portfolio, where the market's moving, and how do you align, uh, you know, both your your competencies and your portfolio towards that, and whether that means you know uh, divestitures and acquisitions. That's all part of it, right? I think the challenge right now is um, that you have a you know you have an environment where there's just a lot of uncertainty, right? I, I think that. You know, yes, while um, you know budgets are going up, they might come down. The shift that's happening underneath that uh, is, uh, is is less predictable is less predictable now than I think it, it might be going forward, right? So I think right. um, as, uh, as 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 I think the real challenge for uh, you know leadership teams and, uh, and and strategy departments is you know how do you actually think about uh, and have a better sense of what who do you think the winners and losers are going to be. Um, so I, I don't think the fundamentals and how you do a change. I do think it's right. I do think it's a little tougher. I will say though, you know, and I know we focus mainly on defense in, in much of this conversation. You, you know, if you think about especially the suppliers and obviously the primes that are somewhat diversified, you know, the commercial business just does provide um, a um, you, you know a base load, if you like, that that I think is going to be um, you know that you can rely upon quite a bit, right? If you think about right. uh, just what, what's happened to underlying demand for um, you, you know seat miles, 
uh, and uh, you, you know the requirements for replacement cycles and all that. I, I do think that that's going to provide a base load. So again, if you're a player that plays in both, right, it's 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 uh, on balance probably a good thing, even though there's more right. uncertainty. I think for pure defense players. Uh, getting the strategy right, of course, becomes even more important. Well, right. I mean, hence uh, Raytheon doing what it did and and the built-in advantage that Boeing has uh, in that. I'm, I'm not going to get into a broader and deeper discussion about strategically what the company has done right and wrong. We we use, uh, we've been discussing that uh, as uh, everybody knows on the show uh, for uh, for some time. From a commercial standpoint or, or even from a defense standpoint, uh, right? What do the numbers tell you about what, the real growth areas of the business are because there's sometimes a superficiality to it, right? Well, it's it's AI and it's cyber. Well, actually, there isn't that much money. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of money, but maybe not as much money as there is in other elements of the business. Uh, and the barriers to entry for some of those are coming down, right? I mean, you can do large language model uh, and and rather dramatic things in with much smaller investment than, for example, uh, w- uh, was the case uh, even even a decade ago or even five years ago. From from your perspective, what what do the numbers tell you about sort of the most attractive commercial and defense, uh, and then within defense, the most attractive defense markets ultimately um, that that it may that may make sense for people to be investing in? Yeah. It- you, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult question to to, to answer at a uh, you know because it really depends on the markets, the different uh, the, the different uh, folks are in. I mean, I, I at the different companies are in. I, I, I guess the way I'd answer um, the, the the question is: Look, I, I think that um, AI is going to be um, uh, dis- disruptive, right? It's obviously going to be disruptive. I think I think though, interestingly, um, I think it's going to be as disruptive. Uh, in terms of how do you how do you actually optimize and uh, fix your own operations as, as it is going to be an opportunity for, for you to serve you know your customers and clients with the product so I I actually think that you know um, companies that think about AI both as how do we use that to disrupt ourselves and drive you know um, innovation and uh, improvements in uh, profitability and operations so that we can reinvest the money in other places and how do we use that to create uh, market opportunities uh, is is probably the biggest disruption that I would see right now uh, as we talk to our um, you know talk to our clients and then again you know to, to answer your question on where the um, where the, where the where the opportunities are um, going forward. Uh, I, I think I think it's going to come down to you know more disruptive um, versus legacy opportunities. Uh, you know that 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 uh, that defense spending is going to go on. But again, I'm I'm stating the the very obvious over there, right? That that's right. Let me uh, ask one uh, a global trade question, and then uh, one about sort of the important role that the McKinsey's uh, of the universe, uh, w- without trying to do your sales and marketing job, which uh, you've got a very very good team helping you on that. You know, we're going into an era, you know, we were in a, a free trade era uh, or as free of a trade era as we could, and now increasingly moving away from that. Um, you can call it friendshoring, you can call it, you know, um, allies and partners, but at the end of the day, um, there are still some questions about whether or not we will trade as freely uh, as we should and whether or not that's actually going to become an irritant among allies and partners. Lawmakers, uh, well-intentioned, want the federal tax dollars spent at home 
So everything that goes into U.S. shipbuilding should be made in America by 2035, Tammy Baldwin says, Senator Baldwin says. On the other hand, we're trying to execute an AUKUS agreement where we want Australia and Britain to buy our components and we buy some of their components, right? So this becomes kind of a complicated endeavor. What do people need to be bearing in mind, whether they're lawmakers or sitting you know, in government or sitting in militaries, about the right way to engineer this with our allies and partners to make sure that at least on the defense side of the equation, we're benefiting from best in class and best technology um, and not actually foreclosing strategic opportunities to us that are the product of our alliances and what our friends are spending and, and not sort of end up reinventing all manner of wheels. Yeah, look, two thoughts there. One is, you know, um, that one is just more, you know, microeconomic driven, right? Which is given advancements in technology, automation, you know, there are ways, uh, and quite frankly, the changing, um, um, you know, uh, wage rates, and this is, this is less to do with our allies and more to do with, you know, what, what, what's, what's been happening in terms of wage rates in, in, in other countries that are, you know, slowly catching up to the U.S., you actually find that, um, you know, if you think about, for example, semiconductors, right, you can actually make a case where economically, uh, you know, given lower energy costs uh, and high levels of automation, it actually makes sense. So I'd say, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is, um, you know, take a fundamental look at this and are there ways that actually make sense to economically, you know, move things to the US and really focus on that. And I think that, you know, there are economic reasons to uh, to think about nearshoring as well that, you know, the pandemic proved with, you know, lengthening supply chains. And again, you combine that with labor arbitrage uh, becoming less uh, and, you know, lower energy costs and other fundamentals the U.S. offers. I think there are opportunities to think about it from a purely economic angle. Um, and I think we're going to see a bit of a change in that uh, going forward. Uh, and, and then look, I, I think, I think um, you know, my, my, my other push would be, uh, you know, we're, we're, the U.S. is used to making a lot of these decisions, right, in terms of when you're working with allies, uh, figure out the right way that, that you know, there are agreements that you have in place in terms of local production, et cetera. I'd say, you know, there's no reason to change that. Uh, you know, it's worked in the past and, you know, we should keep an open mind and, and think about that. So those are the two things that I would say. Um, let me uh, ask you about consultancies uh, writ large. It's a, it's a, it's a tough time. Uh, every uh, company has uh, challenges uh, over, over time, whether they're their internal uh, tensions uh, that surface, you know, and and then occasionally, you know, improprieties. Uh, but the industry itself plays a critical role in uh, being able to be an honest broker. Sometimes you may think you have the best strategic plan uh, in the world, and it takes somebody to come in with some acumen and uh, insight to be able to tell you, well, you guys work this plan really hard. It's not as good as you think it is. Here are some ways. Uh, to improve it. What's, you know, and, and then unfortunately, there are the people who think that they can just ask ChatGPT to build them a strategy and, uh, you know, they'll be in good stead. And, and hopefully, uh, you, you know, people's competitors certainly go down that route uh, uh, because it'll be interesting to see where that ends up. I'm trying to be a little bit cute. What's the future of the business? And what's the key to being seen as um, a trusted broker in it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, first of all, I, I think as, as we think about at least the way we serve clients and the way we partner with clients, we, you know, we, 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 we obviously do a lot of strategy work. 
But a lot more of what we do is actually thinking about um, how do we help clients drive impact and how do we actually become impact partners with them? So when we think about ourselves, you know, a big part of what we do is strategy, but a lot of what we do is actually have, uh, you know, work with clients to actually improve their performance through being through being impact partners. Um, I, I think that, you know, to, to your question about how the industry is changing, um, I think that, you know, technology um, and how do you incorporate that in the way you serve clients, whether that's, you know, the, the way you aggregate data, the way you do analysis, uh, the way you implement solutions. And the second thing is, you know, partnering with people, because, you know, if you're trying to serve a client and drive impact, a lot of times it, it requires uh, partnering uh, with, with with folks. And, you know, when I joined the firm, at least, we couldn't imagine doing that. So I think that in terms of the way the industry is changing already, those are a couple of the trends. And I just think that, you know, as we think about generative AI, it's just going to take that, um, you know, on steroids in terms of how do you think about incorporating technology into how we serve clients uh, and how we partner with others. Um, so that, that that's how I'd answer your your uh, your question on you know how the industry is is changing. On your question about how to be an honest broker, I, I mean, again, I, I think I've you know I've been with the firm for twenty five years and and maybe maybe I've drank the Kool Aid, right? But I I think you know from the first time I joined, uh, you know, we always said you know put the client's interests above yours and always have the client's uh, uh, you know interests at heart. And I think I I feel like you know because we think about that when we serve clients all the time. When you go and talk to clients, we are, you know, we are honest brokers, and 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 the clients see that, uh, and and I think a lot of that comes from telling the truth, right? And they've been and and saying what maybe clients don't want to hear, and sometimes it doesn't go well. But you know, um, the way the way we think about our values and how we serve clients, I think we're always we're always going to say the right thing uh, because in the long term, that's 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 what's going to you know help us and our clients. Well, uh, you guys uh, do uh, have, uh, and uh, and I've worked over the years with many folks uh, from uh, the team that have been very impressive in the talent uh, department, and that uh, certainly uh, continues uh, to this day. Uh, Varun, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it, uh, and look forward to having you on uh, in the future to talk commercial space as well as defense. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Thank you, Vago. It was a pleasure.